The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Steel Town's on its last legs City spirits almost dead Night shift over and over again Same old thing, it never ends But all three rivers they run And glory days here they come Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. This is Tom coming to you from Sawdust Studios in the Washington, D.C. Outpost. We're back! We're back in Sawdust Studios, and before we talk about the Steelers' victory over the Raiders, and before we talk about the Steelers' successful rebuild, which I cannot stress enough to people that stop stop thinking about this season as anything other than a rebuild, let me just say, your collection of needle-nose pliers... I feel like I haven't respected until this time of my life, and now I see I'm about two pairs of needle nose away from true manhood, because we just did taxes before this, so I'm basically at the doorstep, but until I get a few more of these bad boys, I'm not really there yet. Yeah, that, that's about 40 years worth of collection. It actually goes back further than that, because as most of my generation did, they had tools passed on to them. So those are, those are from the 50s. Well, speaking of 50, it was the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception this feels weird, uh, given the fact that, Dad, we've been talking about Franco all week, and I almost buried the lead and just went right into the game here. But obviously, incredibly sad day for Steelers Nation with Franco Harris passing away a few days ago. Um, I don't want to linger too much on that just because the podcast is coming out days after it's happened, and there's already been plenty of analysis. But I'll just share one quick story about Franco before we talk about how the modern young Steelmen... Um, honored him with their performance. And I'll say this. When I was a kid, okay, so the Steelers won Ben's first Super Bowl when I was a freshman in high school, so the 2005-2006 year. And then I believe again when I was a senior in high school is when they beat the Cardinals. Until then, I had not seen the Steelers win a Super Bowl. So when I would come home from school when I was 10, 11 years old, I would come home, I would go downstairs, I would pop on our dial-up internet, 
and I would go to NFL Films, and I would watch the NFL Films' dramatic retellings of all four Steelers' 70s Super Bowls by Steve Sable, you know, the, dr- the dramatized versions of these things, and I would bask in the glory of the Super Bowls, hoping that one day we could, we could get them. And then I became a spoiled fan, and they came, and I thought they would keep coming, and they didn't. I digress. So, I believe it was the Steelers' first Super Bowl against the Vikings, Dogfight. Franco Harris was the MVP, I believe, of that Super Bowl. Heavy run attack. And the Steelers were down. I don't know if it was the fourth quarter, but they were down at some point. And NFL Films goes to the crowd for some footage. And that was back in the day when everybody in America had an old-timey accent. And I didn't really know what a Yinzer accent was at that time, but they went to the footage of the crowd. And two encouraged Steelers fans in bowler hats and suits and ties said, We still got Franco! Come on, Franco! And you and I thought that was so hilarious. So no matter what, when the Steelers have been down in the fourth quarter of a game, of really any game since 2002, when I first saw that, we always say to each other, What's that about Franco? Come on, Franco! So I don't mean for that to minimize the impact of Franco Harris, which is obvious, but we... We love Franco, and we will always say that, whether it's Le'Veon Bell, Jerome Bettis, or Najee Harris, and it was awesome to see the Steelers win against the Raiders 50 years later, also in the final minute of the game. That was glorious. Um, I'm not, we're, I don't think we should you Googleize him at this moment, eulogize him at this moment, because so much has been made of that, but that's just a little father-son little quote that we use that you guys can know we're saying it at any point of a Steelers comeback and hopefully you guys also can take some joy in. We still got Franco! Come on, Franco! In the future here. Well, I guess the other lead we shouldn't bury is Merry Christmas. We are coming to you on Christmas Day. I was dreading the fact that the Steelers game was at 8.15 in the middle of our family Christmas Eve party, which is a pretty big uh, event for us. But we, we did manage it through technology to watch the game. We made it happen. So... The Steelers triumphed over the Raiders 13-10. I did predict this as a Steelers loss, uh, even towards the beginning of the season, but especially in the past few weeks. We talked about it on the podcast just because I think the Raiders have traditionally had a good matchup on the Steelers with Derek Carr. I think until last night, Derek Carr was eight touchdowns, one interception against the Steelers, has had some nice fourth-quarter comebacks, and has just seemed to have had the Steelers' number. And then, of course, Josh McDaniels, who's the head coach and coordinator for the Raiders, absolutely obliterated and dominated the Steelers through his time with Tom Brady. And I know, obviously, he doesn't have Tom Brady, but if you recall the last Steelers AFC Championship game appearance, Tom Brady was throwing to frickin' lacrosse player guy uncovered with nobody within 30 yards of him in the end zone. So to me, that was very much a Josh McDaniels play. Obviously, Tom Brady did plenty too, but I was scared for that matchup. The fact that they have an elite tight end, elite wide receiver, a great number two receiver, and I just didn't know if the Steelers would have enough to contend with that. And from the first drive, it looked like that was going to be difficult. And then the Steelers' defense proved this this is a potentially special defense. And obviously, we are looking towards the future here. And we can repeat our podcast over and over again and talk about the stars performed. But Cam Hayward kind of had his game of the season. It seems like he's really heated up at the end of the year. I want to say three tackles for a loss, two sacks, his second batted pass of the season, multiple tackles. But everybody stepped it up. Minka has an interception. I don't remember if TJ had a sack, but obviously Alex Highsmith had his uh, 12th sack of the year. And 
Arthur Mollette with the gorgeous interception, Cam Sutton with the beautiful interception. They got to sign him up. And really, the story of the day was we just Pittsburghed him. We just bash Las Vegas in the face with the steel beam from the Steel City in negative seven degree weather, which is what it felt like. Nine degrees on the field. Felt like negative seven with the wind chill. With snow falling, and the defense just kept the offense in the game long enough so that the offense and Kenny Pickett could have his second game-winning drive of his career, I believe going like 7 of 9 for 75 yards and a touchdown in that final drive, getting bailed out a few times from some great Pat Fryermuth catches, Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, and then firing a beautiful bullet into the end zone for a game-winner to George Pickens. I think it was like the first time in the last 50 years of the NFL when a rookie quarterback threw to a rookie receiver to win the game in the final minute of a game. So, obviously, that's awesome. And just to wrap up my sort of overall view of the game, the defense kept them in the game, but especially when I rewatched the game, the offense moved the ball the whole time. They just they stumbled and stuttered in the red zone, but this offense keeps improving every single week, and we'll get into Tomlin's comments later, but I think Mike Tomlin and the Steelers, and hopefully the Steelers fans, should have the right idea about this rebuild, and you have to feel good about an emotional win like that, uh, bashing Las Vegas in the face and on Pittsburgh night for Franco. Yeah, when you step back, and I'm looking at statistics now, we held Josh Jacobs, the NFL leading rusher, to 44 yards. Um, Derek Carr only had 174 passing, and I would, you know, attribute this a lot of this to the cold, but you know, the Steelers. What was the total yard rushing for the Steelers? We almost had 100 yards rushing, and Kenny had 244 yards passing. So, still, that that just looks yeah so cold, so cold. And and Tomlin and some of the guys said you don't really think about the cold uh, unless you're getting blown out or you're blowing the other team out. And it seemed to be that way for the Steelers. But you kind of can't deny there's something about those East Coast teams. It's been happening for decades. It will continue to happen. It's, we're really going to see what Miami's made of in particular, like that type of team or San Francisco if they have to go on the road. But you summed it up perfectly. You got arguably the best running back in the league right now. I don't think he's the most talented, but he's definitely up there. The number one rusher in Josh Jacobs. He's, he's extremely talented. One of the most underrated running backs. A lot of people don't know who he is. Spectacular catching, running, throwing, well-rounded, whatever. Number one running back in the league this year. Arguably the number one receiver with Devontae Adams. Two catches for 15 yards for Devontae Adams. I have never seen that. I have seen probably 60 of Devontae's games. Only two catches for 15 yards, correct? Yep. Am I right? And then I know that they had the long throw to the tight end, Darren Waller, superstar at the end of the half. But between Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro, who both had a couple magnificent plays, they barely had 100 yards between the two of them with 58 yards and 42 yards. So Tomlin said in the postgame, we went into that game knowing that we had to stop. I don't remember what he said. Like They had a special guy. They had two special guys, which is he categorized them as Devontae Adams, the receiver, and as Josh Jacobs, the running back. Now, I obviously think Darren Waller is a special guy as well, and then Hunter Renfro is a very good role player. But he said that was our mission going into the game in response to a reporter who asked them how did they focus on that. And they said, yeah, basically that was the main idea of the entire game. So we got to control these guys. And he said we used – I talked about – or we talked about our experience of having two special guys, a ground guy and an air guy. And he didn't name A.B. and Le'Veon by name, 
but that's what he was referencing. And so he said, like, we talked about our experience and how we had to manage that from our side. So they used their recent experience with AB and Le'Veon because that experience is very recent. The NFL, the rules have still been the same in that time frame. So I guess a lot of the challenges that the Steelers face with those great guys still apply now. So I thought that was really cool how Tomlin referenced that. They used their experience with AB and Le'Veon to inform how they were going to defend a star running back and receiver on another team. And clearly they were incredibly successful. Well, what's interesting, speaking about how to balance, when you look at Kenny's targets, so it was pretty equal between Fryermuth, which seems to be his favorite target now, for um, sure. Johnson was five for seven, and Pickens had five targets for and five receptions. Obviously, next year we're going to want them to make sure that George Pickens gets targeted more. I think our buddy Derek at Derek the Kid on Twitter uh, said at, at the end of the first half, I believe Pickens had two targets and he was being covered the entire game by a five eight corner. That's un- inexcusable. And then it's kind of funny. It, it it does seem as simple with George Pickens. You just throw him the ball. P. Butch, cousin P. Butch, and I used to have a lot of discussions about receivers and the types of receivers we like. Because I've always liked the the explosive route runner, A.B., Deontay, the guy who's always open, is going to make a great catch every time. Pat always said he wanted the guy who you could just throw the ball up to, but I contended I don't really think there are many of those guys in history where you can just reliably throw them 50-50 balls all the time. I think there are some great receivers who are good at that. Martavis, but he also had the ability to just run past people. George Pickens is on that short list of guys where he... He is always covered. He's not shaking anybody. Hopefully he learns how to do some of that, but he's uncoverable. We saw him with another back shoulder um, during that game. That was critical. So I guess in a roundabout way, I'm saying we want George Pickens to be more involved, but very clearly, Fryermuth and Deontay are the volume guys. I feel like Deontay has really come on strong after they forced the ball to him three weeks ago. Remember, we were talking about how kind of awkward that was. He ran backwards a lot. Pickens blew up because he didn't get any targets. Well, maybe that paid off because Deontay has seen he's going back to like the volume catch guy, and now he's no longer just catching 10-yard hook routes. He's, he's catching the ball from Kenny while he's on the run at 15 yards, and you just can't underestimate how important it is to have a Fryermuth who's basically like a Heath Miller, but who's now turned on this extra element of run after the catch, which is what gave him the nickname of Baby Gronk at Penn State. We haven't seen a lot of that until the past, like, six weeks. He is doing incredible things, breaking tackles. He and Deontay are the volume guys. And then Pickens is your your big play guy. And so I think that you just talked about the target share. That is a really good receiving core. And on top of that, they've finally figured out the most important piece of why the hell did you draft Najee Harris if you're not going to throw him the ball? And they're finally throwing throwing in the ball past the line of scrimmage on those option routes. And on that last drive, you saw him carry defenders. Jalen Warren, he's carrying defenders. This is starting to become a well-rounded offense, and they definitely have some great pieces. And Kenny's doing a really good job of distributing it. I thought he sailed a few passes, but overall he was great. And obviously, awesome clutch drive. Yeah, Najee had the most targets with nine. You know what they have, if you think about those four players, Najee, Fryermuth. Johnson and Pickens, they've got three three solid years before they have to start thinking about franchise tagging somebody, and you'll have those guys for three more years. So mm-hmm. let's just talk about what we have been talking about is rebuilding this team and what happens in the offseason. 
Well, there's one more player I want to include in that, and that's Jalen Warren. I think you kind of can't understate. This guy is not a backup <laughs> running back. This is a proper NFL running attack where they are giving Jalen Warren the ball a lot. And I do think people are—I think Najee's back. I think that Liz Frank isn't bothering him as much. I think his new mentality of running forward, he is experiencing how effective that is. And he has another element to his crazy athleticism and just largeness. But Warren is another piece of that. So if you look at those pieces, I agree. you got to keep all those guys together. I know people get so pissed at Deontay. you got to remember, he's been playing with the worst offense we've ever seen for three years in a row. Like, you are now starting to see, oh, wow, yeah, he is uncoverable by any cornerback in the NFL. you got to keep them together. And to address what are they going to do next, you and I are begging for them to go offensive line, best player available, no matter who's available in the draft. If the Steelers are drafting at 15 and some Minka Fitzpatrick top 10 corner type of player slides to them, sure, I'm not going to be horribly mad. They have other positions they need. Corner, defensive line, inside linebacker. But you and I really want offensive line. I'm scared they're not going to do it based on some of Tomlin's comments in the postgame about how well this offensive line has done and how they've gelled. And I completely agree. They're very young. Even the free agents they signed are young. You got James Daniels as a cornerstone piece now, but I just think you need to make sure you have at least one star player, superstar player. And maybe that's Daniels, but kind of on the line, you want the two, right? We always go back to DeCastro Pouncey. I want more as a backup. You yeah, know, exactly. I want, I want a cornerstone. That's a ten, it's a 10-year guy we're talking about, right? We, we want a star, often a tackle, who's going to start, obviously. And then I'd be very comfortable with those guys that are currently on the line, any one of them, you know, Chooks is a backup, or totally. obviously more who's actually more questionable. Sure. And I just think when you watch that game, you have players making star plays. You don't have anyone on the Steelers as like an elite top five. You probably don't even have any top ten. Well, Fryermuth is definitely a top ten tight end, but he's not Kelsey, Kittle, and Waller in terms of like. 50-yard plays being something that are consistent. But you watched him make an unbelievable play where he made a grab, ducked underneath of a guy, and basically held his hand on the ground to, to, to move the ball upfield. Those are the kind of plays that we're not used to seeing in the past few years. Like, players making things happen on their own. George Pickens, he's a star. He makes plays that you don't expect to happen. Najee Harris, he doesn't have that long speed to rely on, but hopefully he's that Le'Veon type. He had one play when Max Crosby, superstar edge rusher for the Raiders, broke into the backfield, grabbed Najee by one arm, but with the timing that should have taken him down, Najee used the momentum to spin himself all the way around and get a five-yard gain. These are that star player type of behavior, yes. But, and I'm very encouraged with Kenny, but you're, you're not going to ever get superstar play out of Kenny just because, and that doesn't mean he can't win a Super Bowl, that doesn't mean he can't be great, but if you've watched Patrick Mahomes play and Burrow and these other guys, like we know that there's another level to that. So that being said, I think you need to make sure that the offensive line is, is overwhelmingly good because it's offense first in this NFL. You're also right, hey, knock on wood, that there's been great continuity in the offensive line this year. You need to have more depth there, so I am all for offensive line, best player available kind of no matter what. In the draft. I like the way you phrase that or, or characterize that as we want an overwhelming line. Now that Najee has figured out where North is, it's a totally different running game. 
Because we have yeah. noticed that, again, this is repetitious, but we've noticed that the offensive line came together way before the last two weeks. Sure. It's actually sort of been quietly been solidifying itself, and they're getting better. But I thought it was sort of a function of, A, play calling, and, B, Najee's just questionable running. They're definitely opening more holes now, right? And, and even still, he gets bum-rushed a lot. But it just needs to, I'm trying to bring up the point that people are whining about some of those draft picks. Like, you are wrong. These guys are, are star players. But there's a difference between Deontay Johnson as a star player, George Pickens, and Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Jamar Chase. Like, there's another level. And we don't have that in Pittsburgh. So you better put all the ammunition into the line and everything else as you can. Whereas if you had Mahomes or Allen or Ben, you might be able to wait one more year on the line because it's like he, the quarterback's going to make up for it. And we really need defensive line help. Now, I think the Steelers' tradition of going heavy defense is, is going to you know, it's gonna be difficult, and obviously you're <clears throat> putting a ton of faith in Cam Hayward and staying healthy, because if you don't have Cam Hayward we got on the defense line, you've got major problems. So Wormley's yeah. out, and they're worried he'll be out you know, even into the beginning of next season. That's, and yeah. he's been a solid you know, role player, more than a role player, but that's a He's problem. been a role player, and yeah. We've gone through this, right? They're gone. We're acknowledging that defensive line's a big need, yeah. I guess what you and I are saying, and, and interior linebacker. And if they go that way, I'd, I can't be that mad as no. long as it's the right players, and as long as it's not Terrell Edmonds or Artie Burns in the first round. And obviously we know Terrell Edmonds is turning a really good player. He could have got the guy in the second round. We, you need to make sure it's a true first rounder. We won't be mad, but from a team-building standpoint, that's why I think you got to keep going offensive line because last night was a preview of what the Steelers could be. I know they scored 13 points. Now, Boz missed two field goals. This is probably a good year for Boz to have a down year. Weather was horrible. Tomlin shouldn't have gone for a 52-yard field goal in that environment. But the Steelers were a little bit better than the final score looked. And with the way they moved the ball, you are seeing, oh, my gosh, they can, they can be a power team again. And you need line to do that. So, so as the, as the uh, grill starts settling in and I've got to get up there and get dinner ready, let's uh, talk about our last concern talking about changes for next year, and that is the fact that the Steelers are not doing bad, winning a few games. Nick and I agree this isn't a year we're going to you know, eke into the playoffs, but we don't want that to be a harbinger, a false harbinger of improvement on offensive play calling either. Yeah, it, it's tough, man. I was watching the Dolphins before we were recording here, and look, man, for anybody, I've seen a lot of pushback on Kenny Pickett from a certain segment of the fan base. And that fan base is pushing back against another faction of the fan base that thinks Kenny Pickett walks on water. They thought, he's, he's better than Dan Marino, he's coming out of pit. He was never that. Now, people might be angry, like, what are you talking about? You never know what a quarterback... Sure, yeah, but Dan Marino's arguably the best quarterback ever, still, right? So saying he's not Dan Marino is not an insult. It's just, in reality, hey, a lot of things are going to have to come together for for Kenny to be really good. And so I think that made a lot of the fan base angry that people were overrating Kenny as a Christ-like football figure. And so now they're doubling down in the opposite direction. Kenny can do no right. Oh, how are we ever going to win if Josh Allen's in the league? That's clearly not true. And if you look at Tua, the leading vote-getter for the Pro Bowl, which is a joke, but... He's having a spectacular season. When you and I walked downstairs the first time, he had 10 completions for 230 yards and a touchdown. And I know we don't have Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill, but when you watch the game, it's 
fade back to pass, play action to the left, roll out to the right, throw a post. Hey, this is the play. You throw the post. If it's not open, you throw beneath. And yes, it's Tyree Kill running the post, so it's probably going to be open. But the point is, Kenny's physical tools are better than every single one to us. His arm's better. He's bigger. He's just as fast, if not faster. He, and you're seeing the success that a quarterback like Tua, who doesn't have any physically elite qualities, is having. The Steelers need to design some of those plays. As Steve Smith said in the postgame, too, too much of the Steelers' playbook is Saturday-ish, which I thought was brilliant, poetic. It's too college right? There's not enough options built into it, I think. So I'm worried that the Steelers are going to let that uh, good be the enemy of great with Matt Canada and, and retain him until next season. I'd probably put money on that based on how long they've kept a lot of guys. I mean, look at Presley Harvin let alone Keith Butler, six years of absolute failure, right? So um, I am a little bit nervous for that because, once again, there's no, there's no Jamar Chase on the team. You're going to have to make sure the coordinator and the line are good. But obviously he's gotten better, Matt Canada. That, that final touchdown play call was great, splitting the safeties there after not having done that for a lot of the game and learning how to use Najee better and uh, – yeah, it's coming along, but it's just relative, a little but that's, I guess the issue is that's relative to his previous performance. Exactly. And it's not consistent, and you can do better. And I think we're going to find out relatively quickly, right? Because at the end of the season, there's no reason to have them <coughs> hang around if they're going to get rid of them. We'll know right away. that They'll start looking as soon as they possibly can if they're interested in getting another OC. Well, here's an encouraging and discouraging thing about what Mike Tomlin said in the postgame. He said, look, we have young players. They are getting better in front of our eyes. It's like you and I always said. They would have run Troy Palmolo at the league as a first-round pick that they traded up for. He wasn't good his rookie year, and so he got a lot better. How about Alex Highsmith, one of the best edge rushers in the league? Before, he just had potential. Like These guys will get better. Kenny will start throwing for 300 yards more consistently, most likely, right? So Tomlin says these guys are getting better. And they're going to continue better. And the nice thing is, we're getting to stack some wins while we're doing it. And I really like that quote because it's sort of implied, like, look, the wins aren't the most important thing right now. The process is the most important thing. Are these young players improving? And can we go into next year planning around them? Clearly, there's two games yes left. The answer is a resounding yes. The second half of the Steelers season has been really encouraging. So I do like that from Tomlin. However, I'm worried that he also thinks that of the offensive coordinator, that he's improving, or, hey, these guys are so young, these 13-point scores are going to turn into 23. It's not really Matt's fault. And at the end of the day, I am still like, we're still scoring like 13 points a game. Like, we can, we can aim higher than that. Yeah, it looks like he has a, an excuse to hang his hat on. Like, last year was... You know, the Ben's last year and this year's working with young guys, and it's always something else other than uh, Canada's ability to call a game. And, and a lot of that's objective. You have guys who are breaking down tape every week, showing you tendencies of uh, repetitive play calling. Those are objective facts in the NFL. We could say, oh, they're scoring points or this or that. There's a lot of factors that go into scoring points. But predictability, all the post-game interviews from opponents saying, we, they only run five plays. That is a recipe for disaster in the NFL. It always has been. It's killed every college coach who's come in in the past 20 years, and that's a bona fide issue. So, I, you know, it definitely worries me. 
All right, so we're going to wind it up here. I have some steak to get on the grill here before it turns into 7 degrees outside. It's probably a good idea. I hope that it's 7 degrees outside when the Steelers play the Ravens next week. So Ravens and Browns, right? Steelers could salvage this Mike Tomlin record. I think that's pretty cool, the, the no-losing seasons. How nice would it be to go into next season with winning, what, they would have gone like 6-2 and two or like 8-2 and two or something like that over the second part of the season? That would be huge. Uh, Ravens obviously clinched the playoffs. I haven't heard of Lamar playing or not. The Steelers should have killed the, the Ravens last time they played. I think that the Steelers will be in good position to, to beat the Ravens this week if Lamar doesn't play. And Deshaun Watson, you know, as predicted, he's not he's not playing well. He hasn't played in two years for the for the Browns. The Steelers will have an opening against them too. It'll be a difficult game. But hey, they said it was going to be a difficult game against the Browns last year when it was Ben's final home game. And what do we say? We said Browns. Nobody likes you. You're losers. You'll always be losers. And just think, what if Deshaun never is good? Oh, you'd have lost a lot of draft picks and a lot of money. That'd be terrible. <laughs> Steelers are going to win out. Hey, just as a little extra special present from Nick and me to you guys, we'll take a picture of the Sawdust Studios here and put it on yeah. our Twitter. Go check out our Twitter feed at Steelers Outpost. Send us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. Steel Town's on its last legs. City spirit's almost dead. Night shift over and over again. Same old thing, it never ends. But all three rivers they run And glory days here they come Thank you, Franco.